welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read the newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and our recording on Tuesday, January the 12th, 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill, and today our team of two comprises of uh, myself and John Plush, who is engineering. Uh, we are having to uh, to keep the service going. We're a skeleton staff now, and I'm recording from home. The admin work will be done by Carol Hartle, who is doing it on her own at the moment. So, um, the, sh the music, of course, is by Sheila Joins, and I'm afraid I don't have the thought for the week. And clear all this with me this week. So, may I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate, and entertain. We have some emergency telephone numbers. We'll open the birthday book, and if we don't have yours, please do let us know. I have the headlines from the past week sunrise and sunset times and obituaries will be read after the final music. The service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If, however, you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, in Worcester, WR51DA. Our sincere thanks goes to anyone who has sent a donation. We're truly grateful. In addition to these newspaper recordings, we record a magazine and have an extensive library of talking books. If you'd like a book, do put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone, which is 01905767766. We do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, not too many, please, a compliment, yes please, or an observation, a note in your wallet is great, or leave a message on the answer phone, but please be aware we're not there, uh, well, only once a week now. Um, so I'm going to um, give you the um, telephone numbers now that might be useful. So here at Worcester Talking News, as I've said, it's 01905 76 double seven double six nhs direct is treble one for out of hours medical assistance between 6 p.m and 8 p.m the number is 0300 for the worcester hub again worcester 01905 765765 the Crime Stoppers number is 0800 555 one. And for Worcester City Council, here to help if you have a problem that can't be dealt with elsewhere, it's 01905 768053, and it's option three that you need. Now, who has a birthday this week? On the 15th, it's Julie Lloyd. On the, also on the 15th is Brenda Doe. 
And on the 20th is Valerie Daniel. So a very happy birthday to all of you. I know it's going to be rather different this week, um, this year, but I do hope you are able to celebrate. Now, of course, we don't have any what's-ons because all the theatres and venues are closed. And I'm afraid there will be quite a few items regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's really about how people and organisations are coping. Um, I also will have some information regarding scams, which I will read after the headline stories. I'll also be opening Mike Grundy's Memory Lane book. And this week, I'm going to tell you about a man who gave away a fortune. So um, the sunrise now is 8.12 a.m. And the sunset is 4.22 p.m. So it is actually getting a little bit lighter, particularly in the afternoons, which is really great. So the headline stories this week. Frustrated, dejected, but still full of hope. Man, 72, accused of attack with axe. Outrage as Tesco food deliveries cancelled last minute. Brave victim sees her abuser jailed. City store now gone for good. And a second headline that day, surgery cancelled due to COVID crisis. And finally, Today, Tuesday, officer kicked by thug. A city beer cafe owner has questioned why his business can't sell takeaway alcohol, but off-licenses can remain open during lockdown. Restaurants, pubs and cafes can continue to deliver, offer delivery and takeaway food, but not takeaway alcohol. Latest lockdown measures mean pubs, restaurants and cafes will once again have to close, hitting an industry that has suffered throughout the pandemic. Craig Finn, owner of City Belgian Beer Café Triple B in Copenhagen Street, has not only been hit with the forced closure of his business, but also the latest ban on takeaway alcohol. I think we'll be closed for longer, until at least April probably, he said. I think the amount of normal trading we have had this year is about 11 weeks. It's been a very hard year. We lost four complete months and everybody was waving goodbye to 2020. But here we are again. It's obviously going to be a struggle. We have lost a lot of sales in 2020 and now have lost a lot already in 2021 before the year has even started in earnest. It's frustrating, difficult to digest, and I think one of the hardest things is not being able to see the end of it. Even if we assume that we're going to reopen in March or April, I don't think we'll be reopening without restrictions and still think we are a long way back from where we want to be. It looks like off-licenses can still operate, but I really don't see what the difference is. If you can go there and buy alcohol, why can't you come to my door and buy alcohol? We have a license for off-sales and the stock, so I don't see why we can't do that. It's really frustrating. If there have been problems with people going to pubs to buy alcohol, 
then I haven't read about it. There must be some rationale behind it, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. Councillor Rishi Sunak announced measures on January the 5th, offering grants worth up to £9,000 per property to help businesses in the retail, hospitality and leisure industries keep afloat until spring. A Jekyll and Hyde pensioner hit a man with an axe and smashed up his car after a simmering feud erupted into violence, the court heard. Michael Dack denies assault, occasioning actual bodily harm and criminal damage at his trial, which began at Worcester Crown Court last Wednesday. The 72-year-old of Queen Elizabeth Road, Malvern, is alleged to have hit the man in the chest with the weapon near Upton on Seven on September the 4th, 2018. Daniel Cummings told the jury that his four little terriers had approached Dak, who works as a gardener for his neighbour in Newbridge Green near Upton in July 2018. As a result, the pair, who had known each other for about four years, had an argument with Dak, swearing and telling him the dogs should be on a lead, waving his hedge trimmers to keep them away. Mr Cummings accepted, he told Dak, shut your face. The complainant described how the two already had a dislike for each other, and Mr Cummings later noticed one of his tyres had been let down, believing, but accepting that he had no proof, that Dak had been responsible. He told the panel, Dak had been tormenting me for months and months and months, which he said included staring at him, grinning at him from his neighbour's garden, and trying to wind me up. On the day of the incident itself, Mr Cummings said he was pulling onto his drive when he noticed Dak driving towards him at a pace that would indicate I wasn't there. He drove at me and he didn't look like he was going to stop, said Mr Cummings. I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me, said Mr Cummings, who followed Dak's Land Rover Freelander in his Ford Transit van. He said that Dak's actions annoyed me and he wanted to have a conversation with him after deciding enough is enough. The complainant followed him into Monsell Lane where he found Dak had stopped his car and was urinating against a hedge. When Mr Cummings asked Dak what he was playing at, he said the defendant denied knowing him at all and claimed he did not recognise his van. It was at that point I went... I bet it was you who let my tie down, said Mr Cummings. Mr Cummings told the jury he was not a fighter and remained in the driver's seat with the window down and with his seatbelt on, referring to Dak as like a rabbit in the headlights. Mr Cummings said the defendant had been waving his glasses at him when he decided to snatch, snatch them off. He also mentioned the tyre which had cost him £200 to replace and said, I could cost you money. See how you like it. Mr Cummings said Dak then got an axe from the footwell of his car. Describing him as like Jekyll and Hyde, he said Dak began thrashing his car with the axe before the blows started coming in the cab as he shouted, give them back. Mr Cummings said he was struck several times with the axe, the hardest blow falling on his chest. It rocked my sternum, he said. He told the jury he managed to yank the axe away from him before he drove off. Mr Cummings also had the defendant's glasses and jumper, 
He said the axe wound left a dent in his chest, which remained for eight months. The blow caused a broken rib, his doctor had told him. So our next story concerns Tesco's. City residents have voiced their frustration after, after their Tesco home deliveries were cancelled up to the last minute due to a coronavirus outbreak at Worcester store. A Tesco spokesman has apologised for the issue and said they hoped things would be back to normal by next week. Earlier, Tesco had confirmed that a number of staff at its Warnden Superstore were self-isolating following positive coronavirus tests. A spokesman for the supermarket would not say how many staff were affected, but there were reports that it was at least 12. Dozens of people said they had been affected by the cancellation of home deliveries in Worcester. One man who had his order cancelled said that without a car, he was relying on the grocery delivery to feed his family during the lockdown. Will Clark said, on the morning of the delivery, we had a call to say they weren't going to be able to deliver our shopping. I phoned customer services and asked what was going on. And they said staff had not turned up and your order is cancelled. When I asked the next time they could deliver, they said it would be January 26th. I told them I had no car as I'm unemployed due to COVID. I have a one-year-old baby. We rely on the delivery. What are you going to do? They said there was nothing they could do. It is forcing people into unnecessary travel to supermarkets and shops. They are a supermarket chain. They should have contingency measures in place. Another affected Worcester resident, Dawn Hunter, added, Twice now this week, we have had our Tesco delivery order cancelled via text message on the day of expected delivery, saying due to store issues. Tesco should not be taking orders they can't deliver. It's not right. On social media, Liz Price said, I had a slot booked Tuesday afternoon. I was contacted by email Tuesday morning to cancel the order, saying it was due to store issues. And Nikki Allies said, mine has been cancelled, but due to the situation we're in, it's nobody's fault. It's bound to happen. A Tesco spokesman stressed that the store was still delivering to customers on the vulnerable list and had kept on those staff temporarily recruited over the Christmas period to help. The spokesman said, some colleagues at our Warnden Superstore are self-isolating after a small number of colleagues tested positive for COVID-19. While the majority of our online orders are being delivered as normal, we have had to cancel some home deliveries in the evenings due to colleague absences. We're very sorry for any inconvenience this has caused and hope things will return to normal by next week. And the headline from Saturday evening. A brave survivor of childhood sexual abuse faced the lying paedophile who began abusing her when she was just 13. Determined to bring him to justice after he laughed in her face years later. The woman faced Anthony Lane in Worcester Crown Court, but the predator who stole her childhood could not even meet her eye. One thing, however, was abundantly clear. 
The sex offender, jailed for 14 years, was certainly not laughing anymore. With her head held up high and her voice strong, clear and steady, she recounted the harrowing legacy of the abuse she had suffered at his hands between 1986 and 1989. It all began at the Lido in Droitwich Swimming Pool during what should have been a time of happiness and innocence, learning to swim. Instead, Lane groped her and began what became an escalating pattern of abuse during which her sexual, he sexually assaulted her with a pen and the neck of a wine bottle, spied on her in a shower and later had full sex with her, telling her it's legal now. The 78-year-old of Mayflower Road, Droitwich, fiddled nervously with his COVID-19 mask in the dock rather than look at her. In stark contrast to his evasiveness, the survivor looked straight at him and told him, you have no choice but to listen to me. The balance of power had flipped. No longer the vulnerable, isolated girl the pensioner had systematically abused. She explained that she only contacted police at all when Lane laughed at her and made obscene sexual gestures during a chance encounter in the street. All she ever wanted was an apology. However, she says she knows now that she will never get one, as Lane has no remorse. To rub salt in the wounds after the abuse had finished, Lane had also slandered her, claiming that she, only a child at the time, had seduced him. I will let you decide whether you believe a 13-year-old child can seduce an adult male. And if this was really true, how a man of his age could in all conscience accept the advances of a child, she told the court on, on Thursday. The mother added, I would like to make it clear that I categorically deny these claims. The jury had been deliberating for just an hour when they unanimously convicted Lane of all 13 counts of indecent assault. Many of these charges were multiple incident counts and therefore reflect a much more sustained campaign of abuse than it might at first appear. Indeed, she said in her trial, the assaults happened so often in the trial, really, that she could not remember all the occasions. Later the same afternoon, Judge Nicholas Cartwright jailed the paedophile for 14 years. Lane turned pale when he was told he would serve at least two-thirds of that sentence in prison at a time when COVID-19 outbreaks have been reported in local jails. The defendant's denials made the trial inevitable, forcing the woman to have to give evidence in court and relive the darkest chapter of her life. But she declined the use of a screen to conceal her from everyone except the judge and jury, even though it was her right to such protection. After the hearing, the woman said she finally felt she had a voice and urged other survivors of sexual abuse to come forward and report matters to police, thanking officers and court staff. When he learned his fate, the former welder, now ashen-faced, gripped a rail in the dock as if for support. The survivor, who has lifelong anonymity, said, I stand before you today as a survivor of the worst crimes you can commit against an innocent child. I am a survivor of violent physical abuse. 
I am a survivor of persistent emotional abuse. And most importantly, I am a survivor of child sexual abuse. She told Lane, I have never had a childhood. Since the abuse, the woman says she has suffered from severe depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, which has damaged her trust in others. In a separate incident, her mother had poured boiling water over her head from a kettle and she had to go to hospital, she said. In court, she described her childhood as awful and terrible. I feel the damage done to me as a child is irreversible. Tony stole my childhood, my dignity, my right to my body, my safety and my innocence. I don't think I will ever be able to move on from the pain he inflicted, she said. The survivor also explained why she reported matters to police after 28 years. A chance encounter in the street when Lane made lewd comments and sexually suggestive mouth and hand movements interspersed with laughter. She said his actions filled her with anger and disgust. The abuse was first reported on October the 14th, 2017. He goaded me further and said I wouldn't go to the police, continuing with his mouth and hand actions. Seeing his complete lack of remorse towards me makes me believe he hasn't changed one bit. And therefore, while he was still walking free, other children are at risk, she said. And from the same front page um, of Monday is another headline story about um, surgery operations being cancelled um, due to the crisis. So I'm just going to um, read you this little bit too. It wasn't included in the main headlines, but is nonetheless important. Non-urgent planned operations have been postponed at all Worcestershire hospitals due to a steep rise in community infection rates for coronavirus, placing even more pressure on the NHS. Worcestershire Royal Hospital has temporarily postponed all non-urgent planned operations in order to prioritise those needing urgent care, said Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust. He said over the past few weeks, the number of inpatients within our hospitals who have tested positive for COVID-19 has increased in line with the steep rise in community infection rates, placing even more pressure on local NHS resources. Our hospital continues to prioritise people needing urgent care, including those with cancer while staff across all our hospitals are doing a magnificent job in working to put patients first. Unfortunately, non-urgent planned procedures have had to be temporarily postponed in order to help us manage the significant increase in the number of patients needing emergency or urgent treatment. We apologise to those affected and their families and have been in touch with them directly but would like to reassure them that appointments will be rebooked as soon as possible. If you do have an appointment at our hospital and haven't been contacted, please attend as normal. In the meantime, it's vital that everyone follows national guidelines on hand hygiene, wearing face coverings and maintaining social distancing to help reduce the spread of the virus. We would also urge people to contact Travel One online or via the free phone number for urgent care advice 
before attending our A&E department and only used treble nine in a life-threatening emergency. Worcester now has the highest coronavirus infection rate in the county as cases continue to soar and there'll be a little more of that later. Sad news from Monday the 11th of January Debenhams was being cleared out at the weekend as the once vibrant department store closed for good, a sign of the biting impact of Covid on the high street. Worcester City Centre made for a forlorn site with more bleak milestones reached in the UK's battle with the virus. While hospital beds fill up with Covid patients across the country, the bare windows of the department store also stood as a symbol of the economic ravages of the pandemic, much closer to home. The Worcester News understands staff at the city's Debenhams were made redundant during a conference call last week with some workers left in tears. However, despite the country being in the grip of the third national lockdown, there were still people of all ages in Worcester city centre last weekend, albeit in significantly reduced numbers. The decision to impose the new measures follows a rapid rise in infections, hospital admissions and case rates across the country and hospitals are now under more pressure than they have been at any other point during the pandemic. As previously reported, Debenhams started a liquidation process after JD Sports confirmed it had pulled out of a possible rescue deal, putting 12,000 workers at risk. The 242-year-old department store chain said its administrators had regretfully decided to start winding down operations while continuing to seek offers for all or parts of the business. It is understood the collapse of rescue talks were partly linked to the administration of Arcadia Group, the biggest operator of concessions in Debenham stores. Jeff Rowley of FRP Advisory, joint administrator to the Debenham, said all reasonable steps were taken to complete a transaction that, that would secure the future of Debenhams. However, the economic landscape is extremely challenging and coupled with the uncertainty facing the UK retail industry, a viable deal could not be reached. Meanwhile, a short distance away, Nevitt in Broad Street still carries the banners of its closing down sale. The former game shop in Broad Street also stands vacant, the ghostly outline of the lettering still visible. Nice Stitches in Broad Street carries a to let sign in the window, while Bright House also stands empty after the company sank into administration in March last year. And the final headline story from today, January the 12th, is about a drunken Worcester youth thug who kicked a police officer during a foul-mouthed rant after he fell over in the back of a police van when it turned a corner. Jack Payne, who was handcuffed in the van, fell off the bench on his way to Worcester Police Station. When an officer tried to see if he was OK, the defendant kicked him in the knee. The 24-year-old dad of Britannia Road admitted assaulting an emergency worker when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday the 8th of January. 
the nuisance, who is already subject to a criminal behaviour order, also admitted he was in breach of a suspended sentence order. This was imposed on September the 4th last year, which was 14 months suspended for two years, for affray and criminal damage after paying through tiles off a roof in All Saints Road, causing £5,000 worth of damage. Police officers were called to reports of yet another disturbance and potential domestic incident involving the lout in Ledbury on November the 14th last year. Payne had been asked by the woman to leave the address, but he refused, said David Arles, prosecuting. A police officer and special constable arrived at the scene. The officers found the defendant to be heavily intoxicated. They attempted to reason with him, but he refused to leave and became abusive, said the prosecutor. Payne was arrested to prevent a breach of the peace. En route to Worcester in a marked police van, officers rounded a corner and Payne fell off a bench, so officers stopped to investigate, opening the doors of the van. An officer can be heard on body-worn worn camera saying, Jack, sit up. You can't sit on the floor, mate. However, Payne swore at the officer who was trying to help him. Then he kicked out with his right leg and made contact with the constable's right knee, causing his leg to jolt backwards, which caused immediate pain and discomfort behind his knee, said Mr Arles. Payne could also be heard shouting, I'm going to kick you in the teeth. I'm going to kick you so hard. Barry Newton defending said the officer did not require medical treatment and there had been no lasting injury. He also stressed that Payne had entered a timely guilty plea. Payne, a former construction worker, has been in custody since November 14th. Unfortunately, he has been brought up in an environment where alcohol is abused within the family, said Mr Newton. He said his client's alcohol intake had increased dramatically since the breakdown of a relationship. In essence, it's the grip alcohol has had on him that has led, almost inevitably, to all of his defending, said the city solicitor. Judge Nicholas Cartwright told the defendant that, at just 24, he had already accumulated a really significant record of offending, 44 offences. He said recorder David Mason had given him a further suspended sentence for the criminal damage and affray when Payne had appeared last September. Judge Cartwright said Payne, on that occasion, would have left the court knowing full well that if he committed a further offence within those two years, he could expect to serve 14 months. That's what happened pretty soon after the suspended sentence was imposed, said Judge Cartwright. The judge revoked an existing community order and Jane jailed Payne for 15 months. So that is all of the headline stories. And I would now like to read um, a couple of um, stories about scams because one of our roles is to hopefully warn you as well uh, to keep you safe. Um, this concerns um, a scam regarding uh, the vaccine, and I do know someone who actually has received a text. 
So the story goes, Worcestershire residents are being reminded the NHS would never ask for payment or bank details after concerns were raised over a new vaccine text scam. The scam has been highlighted and shared by county residents on social media in recent days. The text is made to look believable and seemingly from the NHS, telling the receiver they are eligible to apply for the vaccine. Police have said it starts, we have identified that you are eligible to apply for your vaccine before people are prompted to click on a link. The link takes the victim to what is made to look like a genuine NHS website, asking for the patient to fill out a form providing details of their name, date of birth, address, proof of address, and to provide payment card details. The Neighbourhood Watch Group, which has also been raising awareness of the scam, said the text and website should automatically ring alarm bells as we all know the vaccine is free. Meanwhile, nationally, there have also been reports of cold callers asking people to pay for the vaccine over the phone. NHS Herefordshire and Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Group, which is administering the rollout of the vaccine in the county, has stressed no one would ever be asked for payment or the details for a payment card by the NHS. A CCG spokesperson said, the NHS will contact you when it's your turn. We will never ask you to press a button on your keypad to confirm you want the vaccine and never ask for payment or for your bank details. According to Action Fraud, the UK's National Reporting Centre for Fraud and Cybercrime, scammers have stolen millions of pounds from people during the pandemic. Last May, the public were warned of another scam related to coronavirus doing the rounds, that attempted to fool people into believing they had been in contact with someone who has tested positive for the virus. Bogus text messages made to appear as though they were sent by an official source associated with the app were sent out with links that recipients clicked on, taking them to a website that turned out to be asking for details. Scams can be reported to Action Fraud on 0300-123-2040 or through its website, which is action-fraud.police.uk. And a similar story from Nat West, who have also issued a scam warning uh, customers after fraudsters have attempted to steal information from customers. Um, So again, the detail from NatWest, the information from um, Jack Costin, head of fraud at NatWest said, you're now more likely to be a victim of fraud in the UK than any other crime. So please, please, please do not respond to those sort of links. Um, On a personal level, I had a text from our GP practice advising and offering a vaccine appointment 
and I knew that that was certainly legitimate and no money is requested or needed. Um, and this um, is about courier fraud. Police have issued a warning for people to be on their guard following reports of attempted courier fraud in Worcestershire. West Mercia Police say there were several reports of courier fraud attempts on elderly and vulnerable people during a 24-hour period earlier in the week as lockdown began. Courier fraud is when a fraudster contacts victims by telephone purporting to be a police officer or bank official in an attempt to con them out of thousands of pounds. A force spokesman said, please remember no police officer will ever call and ask for your money or financial details. During this period of lockdown, please be sure to call your elderly friends and family and anyone vulnerable who is maybe not on social media to let them know of this scam. Help us to keep vulnerable and elderly people updated on all the fraud scams we issue alerts on and, and to help keep everyone safe while we all stay at home, protect the NHS and save lives. A similar warning was issued last October when criminals pretended to be police officers and attempted to defraud people in the county. After those concerns, Detective Inspector Emma Wright said, this type of fraud targets older, vulnerable people, and we would urge everyone to tell someone by passing on the information about the bogus callers to relatives, friends and neighbours who may not have heard about the local telephone scamming operation. If you think someone is trying to scam you, tell someone straight away. Don't be pressured. Give yourself time to stop and think. If the crime is still in progress because, for example, you have recently provided bank details or handed over cards or cash or are going to visit your bank or the caller has arranged for someone to visit your address to collect items, you should call the police to report this on 101 and, of course, in an emergency, dial treble nine. Please remember the police or the NHS will never contact you asking for your bank card or cash. So please be very, very careful. And now for some more interesting news. The Worcester News will be the media partner of Worcester's Big Parade, an eight-week wild in art sculpture uh, trail to raise money for St Richard's Hospice. Worcester's Big Parade will see around 30 elephant sculptures brighten the city streets, parks and public spaces between July the 12th and September the 5th. Michael Purton, editor of the Worcester News and sister titles, Barrow's Worcester Journal, Malvern Gazette and Evesham Journal, said, We're delighted to be partnering with St Richard's Hospice for the city's second public art trail which not only raises much-needed funds for local hospice care, but will also attract huge numbers of people into our city. Standing alongside the large fibreglass elephants will be around 35 calves, decorated by school children and community groups, and displayed throughout uh, city shops and Crown Gate shopping centre during the trail. 
large fiberglass sculptures will be auctioned in October to raise funds for the care that St Richard's provides to those living with a serious progressive illness and their loved ones. Sarah Matthews, business development manager for the hospice, said, We're so excited to have the city's only daily newspaper on board for the trail once again. With the invaluable support of the Worcester News, we can ensure we spread the word about our elephant parade and the charitable cause behind it to as many people as possible. While all elephant calves have now been adopted by local schools and, and community groups, there is still time to sponsor a large elephant. To get involved, call 01905 763 963 and ask for Sarah Matthews. You can also follow Worcester's Big Parade at facebook.com forward slash Worcester's Big in, with a capital B, Parade with a capital P. So that's something exciting to look forward to in the summer, which follows the uh, giraffe trail that we had two years ago. Droitwich, a nursing home in Droitwich, has been sold to a new owner. Pure Healthcare has sold St John's Nursing Home to Springview Care for around £2 million. St John's has 43 service users and sits in a former Victorian hospital which was converted into a care home in the early 1990s. It comprises two units, the Pines, which has 26 dementia nursing bedrooms, and the Limes, which has 17 bedrooms for residents with enduring mental health needs. Springview Care Director Carmel Khan said, We are delighted to be taking ownership of St John's. We're really looking forward to the challenge of making St John's one of the top performing nursing homes in Worcestershire. And some naughty people here. Van residents in a Worcester street had their car park flooded with water from the canal after locks were maliciously vandalised. Operatives from the canal and River Trust were called at 9.15pm on Wednesday the 6th of January, to high water levels at the canal near Astwood Cemetery and a flooded car park on Addison Road, which is off Blankets Avenue. Liz Williams, a waterway operative who went to the scene, said, When we got there, the gate at Lock 9 was wide open and both paddles fully up. One section was completely empty, hence water levels high further down. I got to lock six and again, top end gate fully open and one top paddle fully up. Not the paddle that was operational, but one that was taped off and out of action. That section was half empty too, hence flooded the car park. The trust are treating the incident as malicious vandalism and urging anyone with information to ring 0303 0404 040. Ms Williams added, this is clearly vandalism as only essential journeys are allowed at the moment, so no boats were moving and, even if they were, boaters would not do anything as dramatic as what we found, even by accident. It's bad because it could have flooded people's properties on the estate. The water is full of all sorts of nasties too, so you wouldn't want people wading through it, even in a car park. 
Empty sections also mean the wall of the pound, which is the section between the locks, can cave in and cause big tracks in the towpath, which are dangerous, costly and time-consuming to repair. It also means people don't have water to cushion their fall if they fall in. And there are lots of nasty stuffs in the pounds like bikes, trolleys and rubble. It is also very time-consuming for us to deal with unfouling, which is cleaning the gates and refilling the pounds, especially in dangerous conditions such as pitch darkness last night and ice. In the current climate, we don't want to be out on the towpath for long periods with lots of people passing us. We just need to do what's necessary and stay safe ourselves. A paramedic couple finally tied the knot in the brisk December snow after coronavirus forced them to cancel their wedding four times. Rob Stewart, 30, and Bethany Griffin, 25, got engaged in 2018 and planned to marry last year, but faced four cancellations. The couple finally got to say I do at the Guildhall just days before a third national lockdown was announced. Bethany said, we were lucky, we anticipated a third lockdown and so wanted to get the wedding in as close to Christmas as possible. We became husband and wife on the 28th of December. It went so well, it was really lovely and suited us perfectly. The snow in some ways just made it more special and exciting, as well as making it very interesting to walk through in a wedding dress. It's so nice to know that we've managed to get to where we want to be and to end the year on a high. It's just a nice feeling. Though I do feel sorry, so sorry for couples who have had to cancel and for the wedding industry who are struggling. Ian Griffin from Worcestershire Wedding Cars offered the couple a free car for the special day after reading of their struggles in the Worcester News. Beth added, it was so kind and lovely of them. It's the sort of thing Rob and I wouldn't have booked for ourselves to save money. So it was just a perfect treat and the icing on the cake. It just made it all much more magical. And it's definitely not every day you get driven around in a Rolls Royce. The car definitely attracted some attention. Some of my neighbours spotted it, so they came out to wave me off, which was so moving and lovely to see. The community has been so supportive and loving. It was quite overwhelming on the day to see how many people were doing all they could to see us get married. We want to thank Wayland's Yard for holding our reception and the Guildhall for letting us get married. Both venues opened especially for us. Rob and Bethany had just one day off before working together on the front line again for West Midlands Ambulance Service. Bethany said, we were due to go to Antigua for two weeks of relaxation, but it's definitely been the opposite. It's been hard to keep motivated and keep the spirits up especially as, like so many others, we can't book or plan a holiday to unwind. I think our biggest challenge we'll face is trying to look after ourselves well enough so we can look after others. Some COVID news now. Staff at a Worcester care home who received their COVID-19 vaccinations said the job feels like the light at the end of the tunnel. 
The general manager at Latimer Court said receiving the job had lifted spirits. Kerry Hill said, last year was a year like no other and the vaccine feels like the light at the end of the tunnel. Our teams have been magnificent in how they have risen to every challenge during this pandemic and we are proud to play our part in this next phase to ensure the most vulnerable are protected. Receiving the vaccine has lifted everyone's spirits after what has been a very challenging year for everyone. Mandy Sherwood, a staff member at Latimer Court, said everyone at the care home was delighted to receive the vaccine. I'm so pleased, she said. It will help to keep our residents safe and is the first step in getting things back to normal and having a buzz of visitors in our home once again. Miss Hill added, we are welcoming new residents into our homes to ensure that we are there for those that need care and support and have very clear protocols that must be met, including a transition period into our home to help keep everyone safe. A spokeswoman for the care home in Darwin Avenue confirmed that around 75% of the care home staff received the vaccine at the Alexander Hospital in Redditch on December the 18th. There are plans in place for the remaining staff members to receive the vaccine. Latimer Court is run by Barchester Healthcare, one of the UK's largest care providers. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister has confirmed that 1.1 million people have now been vaccinated in England and 1.3 million in the UK. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine has begun to be rolled out uh, this week. The vaccine will be administered at six hospitals before the bulk of supplies are sent to hundreds of GP-led services. BioNTech and Pfizer have also warned against delaying second doses of their vaccine, saying there is no evidence that it will continue to protect against COVID-19 if the booster shot is given later than was tested. I'm going to open Mike Grundy's memory lane now. And this is a story about a man who gave away a fortune. I don't know if you can guess who that might be. A man called Billy. Probably the most remarkable of all rags to riches stories in British history began over 100 years ago in a tiny terraced house in Worcester. There a boy was born to Frederick and Emily Morris a child destined to leave an indelible mark on the 20th century as William Morris, father of the British motor car industry and the nation's greatest philanthropist. It was his destiny, or good luck, to be born at exactly the right moment to answer the call when Britain cried out for a pioneer and leader of its infant automobile industry. And it is Worcester's proud boast to have been the cradle of this great industrial entrepreneur and man of vast generosity who gave away £40 million in his lifetime. Even so, young Billy Morris lived only his first two years in Worcester. His father came to the city from Oxford as a traveller working for a drapery business and set up home with his young family at 47 Spring Hill Cottages now 47 Coma Gardens. In 1879, the family moved back to Oxfordshire where, 
after a village school education, he started work at 15 as a five shillings a week apprentice repairing bicycles. The workshops were about a mile from Cowley, where he was eventually to set up his giant car factory. After nine months of his apprenticeship, he asked for a rise of just one shilling a week, but this was refused. He therefore left, and with capital of only four pounds, this gifted young mechanic set up his own cycle repair shop in the front room of his parents' home. So began his meteoric rise to millionaire and multimillionaire status. He converted an old stable into a factory to build bone shakers, and by 1900 had saved £2,000, enough to start manufacturing motorbikes. Next came a car hire and taxi service, and then the fulfilment of his first dream, the production of a cheap but efficient car, bringing motoring within the reach of the masses. It appeared in 1912 as the first Morris Oxford, a reliable two-seater selling for £165. When faced with an international slump in car sales in 1921, he took the tremendous gamble of slashing £100 off the price of his four-seater Morris Cowley. It paid off because he not only sold off his stockpile of vehicles, but also gained orders for 10,000 more. He caused another sensation in 1931 when he offered two-seater cars for as little as £100. And by 1939, his company was turning out its millionth vehicle. William Morris was knighted in 1929, made a baron in 1934 and a viscount in 1938, taking the name Lord Nuffield. In 1951, his giant empire was merged with Austin to become the British Motor Corporation, the fourth largest car manufacturing combine in the world. He was BMC's first chairman. Yet for all his pioneering zeal, Lord Nuffield may well be remembered more as a philanthropist than a car manufacturer. His generous gifts began flowing in 1928 and gathered momentum with him donating many millions, particularly to medicine and science. Even at the pinnacle of his wealth, Billy Morris never adopted the lifestyle of a multimillionaire, nor threw off his quiet, unassuming manner. He lived in a fairly modest house, and even in the late 1950s was still driving a pre-war saloon worth little more than £100. Throughout his life, he never forgot his birthplace and returned to Worcester many times. He was one of the guests at the 1932 reopening of the widened Worcester Bridge by the Prince of Wales. In fact, the Prince was able to announce in his speech that his very old friend, then Sir William Morris, was giving £26,000 to Worcester Royal Infirmary. It was a big sum in those days and followed up a few years later by another £10,000 gift from him. In 1937, it was Worcester's turn to honour its famous son when William Morris was made a freeman of the city. In 1951, Droitwich also conferred the freedom of the spa on Lord Nuffield. 
He died in 1963 at the age of 85, and despite having given away £40 million and having set up the famous Nuffield Foundation Charity Trust, he still left a personal fortune of more than £3 million. And now uh, another honour for a gentleman in Droitwich, a man who has raised thousands of pounds for good causes in Worcestershire and further afield, was recognised in the Queen's New Year's Honours. Richard Campbell has been awarded an MBE for services to the community in the West Midlands. The 73-year-old will be a familiar face to many, having been in the Salvation Army since he was a youngster and for many years has played the tuba in the Salvation Army Band. Mr Campbell said the first he heard about the award was receiving a call from the Cabinet Office telling him he could expect an email from them. It went from there. I was told I would be mentioned in the honours, Mr Campbell said. It was a big shock. The phone hasn't stopped ringing for days. I have been in the Salvation Army all my life. The award is not just connected to fundraising, it is for helping charity events and community projects. Mr Campbell was born in Kidderminster where he grew up. He then moved to Cradley Heath in the 1960s where he married his wife Pauline and the pair went on to have their son Ian. He returned to Worcestershire in 2012, the family living in Malvern for three years before moving to Droitwich where they have been based ever since. On its Facebook site, a spokesman from Droitwich Salvation Army said, It is with immense pride I write this message. Our very own Droitwich Corps member has been awarded the MBE. Congratulations, Richard Campbell, MBE. Awarded for 50 years of service to the community and fundraising. Richard, I know, doesn't do what he does for recognition or limelight, but it is wonderful that he has received this award. Well done and congratulations and love from us all. And now a, a planning story. Concerns have been raised about a plan to build up to 21 homes in claims. The plan by PJ Developments would see the four-bed homes built on a paddock off Egg Lane in Claims on the edge of Worcester next to the busy A449. Dozens of local residents and several neighbours in Egg Lane have objected to the plan, with many criticising it for looking to build on open countryside. One resident said, Allowing homes to be built on the land would destroy all credibility of any policies that sought to protect green space and prevent the urban expansion of Worcester into the area. This is a most inappropriate and ill-conceived application, and it is to be sincerely hoped that councillors will collectively refuse so damaging a proposal and, in a manner, as to make it clear that no form of development would be considered on this site, the objection said. Another resident who had lived in Egg Lane for 30 years said, adding 40 more cars to a very narrow road that was used by tractors and heavy goods vehicles, horses, people and cyclists would create injury or worse. Egg Lane will not be able to handle this volume, the objection said. 
It is too small, too fast and dangerous. And the 70 mile an hour dual carriageway adds another dynamic. This area has plenty of other suitable locations. Clane's City Councillor Mel Orcott objected to the plan saying the land was open countryside and should be protected. She said the lack of public transport serving the area would result in more cars on the road. Another Egg Lane resident said this housing development has no place on this field at the top of Egg Lane. It will considerably alter the remaining rural nature of this area on the approach to the city of Worcester. It is an inappropriate encroachment on the special nature of Egg Lane and furthermore, the danger to the access right on the busy A449 cannot be overstated. The leader of the County Council has said a council tax rise is essential to fund social care in Worcestershire, but says the increase will still be one of the lowest in the country. Bosses at Worcestershire County Council have proposed increasing its share of council tax by 2.5% next year, around £33 more for the average household, which they say is needed to help care for the county's most vulnerable people. The council's cabinet backed the draft budget at a meeting on January the 7th, with a final decision due to be made in mid-February. At a media briefing following the Cabinet meeting, Councillor Simon Geraghty, leader of Worcestershire County Council, said the proposed council tax increase was not something he wanted to do, but was necessary to ensure essential services were funded. I totally understand that any rise in council tax is something that has to be carefully considered and is not something that any member of any political party really wants to do, he said but ultimately the services, the most vulnerable people in society and those investments in things the public have said that they want to see improve have to be funded. Based on current estimates, the increase would see the County Council's share of council tax rise by around £33 extra next year for the average Band D household, notwithstanding any other increases by district councils all police and fire service precepts. Cabinet papers revealed a £26.5 million gap in its budget for the next year, almost three quarters of which is taken up by adult and children's social care, but council bosses say the budget will be balanced. It is always a judgment call and a balance, Councillor Garrity added. What I would say is that we try to keep council tax in Worcestershire as low as possible, given the circumstances, and we are in the lowest 25% for all county councils. I think this rise amongst county councils in the country will be one of the lowest. What we've tried to do is balance that wherever we can against the pressures that people are going to face in their daily lives. I appreciate finances are tight at the moment and they might be under even more pressure in, in the next year. If we were to go much lower, we wouldn't be funding those pressures in adult and children's social care or tackling the things that people say they want. Firstly, I think this would lead to us not being able to fulfil our statutory duties or would mean frustration from the public 
because whilst they are paying extra in council tax, they wouldn't see any improvement in the services they say need improving, such as roads, pavements, congestion and flooding. So that's not good news, is it? Um, now an item about Carden Street. A photograph of Carden Street, which was featured a few weeks ago, brought back sweet memories for one Worcester gentleman. The author here, the, the journalist Sheena Payne-Lunt, was contacted before Christmas by Brian Pingriff, whose father Jim worked at Sigley's Steam Confectionery Works during the 1930s and early 40s. Brian's grandfather, John, also worked there years before. Sigley's was famous for its sweets, and in particular for a well-loved throat sweet known as Mother Sigley's Cough Drops, reported to be a recipe passed to Mr Sigley, the factory owner, from his own mother. As well as making confectionery, John's father drove a large van delivering sweets to the two city-based Sigley's shops one next door to the Star Hotel in Forget Street and the second in Friar Street, just around the corner from the factory. He also made deliveries to shops in Herefordshire, travelling as far as the Welsh border. One particular memory stands out for Brian, a visit to the factory in 1940, when he was just four years old. He says, I remember seeing a long, hot slab made of steel supported with brickwork which contained a coal fire, he said. A large amount of sweet mixture was being rolled and kneaded with the hot slab, keeping it pliable. The mixture was then fed into a machine, and what seemed like magic to me, the sweets came out of the other end ready already wrapped. There was also a machine for making lettered rock. The sweet mixture was physically pushed into it, and the rock came out of the other end with the letters already in it. I happily left the factory carrying a large bag of sweets. And if a sweet factory weren't a magical enough place for a small child, Brian went on to share another fascinating memory. When the workers left the factory in the evening, the street lights reflected on the glucose from the sweets, making their clothing look white, and the local residents called them Sigler's Ghosts. Sigler's was one of several industrial buildings based in the blockhouse area of the city, much of which was comprehensively redeveloped in the 1960s and 70s, with swathes of housing condemned and to the factories and public houses along with them. Listeners may remember many of these lost streets and buildings, which made way partly for City Walls Road. Uh, the Worcester News would love to hear any stories and Thank Brian was thanked for sharing his fascinating insight into a once famous city enterprise. Worcester Life Stories is a collaborative project bringing local people together through shared stories of the city of Worcester. It is co-led by Dr Natasha Lord, Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust, and Sheena Payne-Lunn, uh, the author of this item, from Worcester City Council, and the funding is by the National Lottery. For further information, or if you'd like to share your stories, visit worcesterlifestories, all one word, dot org dot uk. 
stories can also be emailed to worcesterlifestories at gmail.com or by phone 01905 721133. And they also have a calendar. So some memories there and some stories that are being collated about Worcester. Uh, now, a few stories about COVID, really. GPs in Worcestershire will uh, now begin and are actually rolling out the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine to patients across the county as from last Saturday. The Herefordshire and Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Group confirmed they received the first delivery of the vaccine and began administering it to patients on January the 9th. In Worcester, a collaboration of 11 GPs surgery, collectively known as the Worcester PCN, will be working together to administer the vaccine from Monday, January the 11th. The vaccine is being delivered to a select number of surgeries in the county to maintain services at other surgeries for patients, though all patients will be able to receive the vaccine at a site close to them. As with the previous rollout, patients are being asked not to contact their GP practice or local hospital directly, asking for an appointment. Gemma Moore, GP at Ombersley Medical Centre, said, It's fantastic to have another vaccine ready to roll out in Worcestershire. Our primary care teams have been working tirelessly throughout Christmas to vaccinate vulnerable patients and the delivery of the Oxford vaccine will allow us to reach even more patients over the coming weeks and months. GP surgeries in England began the rollout of the Oxford vaccine impossible without a pool of volunteers, including more than 600 people from Worcester. Volunteers are needed to find out which potential vaccine is most effective and those involved are required to visit hospital or research sites every few months. NHS digital data shows 605 people from Worcester had volunteered to take part in coronavirus vaccine studies. And now a little bit of news um, from schools, because there has obviously been quite a uh, impact on school children. A head teacher at a Worcester school has said he is extremely disappointed with the government's decision to replace GCSEs and A-levels in England with teachers' estimated grades this summer. RGS Worcester headmaster John Pitt spoke out after Education Secretary Gavin Williamson confirmed plans for GCSE, AS and A-level examinations to be scrapped in England after schools across the country closed as part of a third nationwide lockdown. Mr Pitt said, We are extremely disappointed with the government's decision to cancel the public examinations and introduce a grading system. We believe this decision has been made too early and without a proper alternative ready to put in place. We are really very sorry for pupils who have worked so hard and will want to demonstrate what they can achieve in the examinations. We believe it should have been possible to introduce an approach that would still have achieved fairness 
and given students the opportunity to sit the exams with a sense of achievement so important for them at this time. Steve Powell, the head teacher of Nunnery Wood High School, said he was glad that schools now, quote, have an early indication of what will happen. Of course, what we're desperate to hear is the actual mechanism for submitting grades, said Mr Powell. My strong preference is that it is the system that we used last year, which, despite reports, only showed minor inflation of grades. But we're fearful that any kind of nationally imposed system is going to automatically disadvantage the individual. I think the sensible approach from the government would be to check that their internal process has that kind of rigour. Former undertakers will be turned into flats after new plans were backed by the council. Fair Construction finally had its plan to revamp a utility and coffin storage area backed by Worcester City Council. The plans were rejected by the council last year and an appeal later thrown out by a government inspector. Fair Construction returned with a new plan after the two rejections said the flats would be too small. Developer had its appeal to the government's planning inspectorate to overturn the decision rejected in September last year because both apartments would have been below the national minimum size of 37 square metres for one-bed flats. Fair Construction then put forward new plans to convert the former undertakers with one flat increasing to 57 square metres. The developer said both flats would be better lit, but one would still be 34 square, square metres in size. The government planning inspector did say the size of the flats and lack of windows would make them enclosed and overbearing, with his report adding that the flats had a subterranean look which would be harmful to anyone living in them. The inspector also said that despite a neighbouring flat being of a similar size, the council's refusal could still not be overturned. Fair Construction had argued the size of the apartments would only be the same as others in the area, including 27 square metre and 30, 33 square metre flats in Twompool Walk, which made the below standard size insignificant. Rejecting the flats last year, council planning officers said the apartments which measured 34 and 35 square metres, could not be approved because they were too small and would provide an unacceptable environment for future tenants. The listed building, which dates back to the 18th century, has been empty for more than four years. A tenant says he is sick to death of people using the entryway into his city centre flat as a toilet. The resident on All Saints Road wishes to remain anonymous over fear of retribution, but he says he is at the end of his tether with the human excrement and vomit in the shared entryway. He said it's absolutely vile. There has been poo in the shared entrance of the flats for at least a week. I found poo, we vomit and used needles in there. It is obviously horrendous to have to walk through to get in and out of my home. I have spoken to the landlord about it, but it is still there. Someone looks like they have placed a brick over it, but it hasn't been cleaned. 
In this day and age, it is a health hazard. There are all sorts of disgusting germs in human waste, and the entryway isn't far from a communal kitchen. I have also been to the police over the years, and myself and other tenants have tried the council, but nobody seems to be bothered. When the Worcester News contacted the landlord, Ian Perks, he told us feral people who are no better than animals have been using the area as a toilet for years. He said, I have owned some of the flats for 40 years and there has always been an issue with human excrement and vomit. It happens everywhere in the city, but if you go down the butts, you will see poo everywhere. People are disgusting, feral animals, and need to be stopped. They're pigs. But what can I do? Years ago, I videoed someone in the act and took it to the police. They just said there was nothing they could do. I have organised for the entrance to be cleaned. That is all I can do. The animals that use the alley and the stairs as a human toilet need to be punished. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said, The responsibility of clearing up the waste lies with the landlord as it is, as it is private property and not a public right of way. And the final story this week is from new um, is uh, some good news for Droitwich. Plans to build more than 50 homes on the site of an historic hotel have been put forward. The listed Raven Hotel in Droitwich would be partly demolished to make way for 51 new homes, preserving the long-term future of the building. The central part of the St Andrews Road Hotel, which is Grade 2 listed and dates back to the late 16th century, will be kept as well as some of the later buildings. The plan to build up to 51 homes, which include a mix of flats, terraced, detached and semi-detached homes, as well as space for a bar and restaurant, was backed in 2018 by the council. The new plan would now see only homes built on the site, including nine, two and three bed flats, 22 terraced houses and 20 two to four bed homes. The hotel had fallen into a shocking state of disrepair and pictures have emerged on social media uh, showing the extent of the damage. Many people were left angry and disappointed that the historic building had been left to fall into such a bad state. Witchhaven District Council said the pictures showed damage to the newer parts of the hotel, which had seen roof tiles and copper wire stripped from the building. The newer sections had also suffered severe weather damage and been the site of regular fly-tipping. A heritage statement included with the application said, The proposals for a new residential development at the site of the former Raven Hotel can be recommended for approval, as there would be no harm to the character or appearance of the conservation area or to the listed buildings and their setting. The development would secure the optimum viable use of the deteriorating heritage assets. The plans can be viewed via the planning section of Witchhaven District Council's website and the application number is 20 forward slash 02623 forward slash A F U L and those are in capital letters.
Public consultation ends on February the 4th. So that is this week's final story. And I'm sorry you've had to listen to my voice for the whole of the session, but we are very keen to try and keep our service going. I'm Elizabeth Hill, and I'm signing off with thanks to John Plush for his recording and uh, wish you a, a good week and see you soon. Bye-bye. These deaths have been announced uh, with no details of funerals uh, because of the current situation, but I will give you where possible uh, details of funeral directors for you to make contact. So we have Angela, known as Angie Hemming, who passed away in December, age 61. Uh, private funeral uh, will be taking place at Westall Park Natural Burial Ground. Donations um, to her favoured charity, waterAid.org with enquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care, 01905-22137. Robert Bell, known as Bob, aged 100, passed away on the 18th of December. Uh, donations for Worcester Talking Newspaper can be sent care of Bedredine Funeral Services, 01905 748811. Maureen Chaloner um, passed away on the 21st of December. Um, details from EJ Gumry and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU, with donations for Friends of Worcestershire Royal Hospital. George McIntosh passed away the 29th of December, age 86. Um, service will um, have taken place at St John the Baptist Church at Claims. Um, donations can be sent directly to the Stroke Association. Inquiries to cooperative funeral care details as before. Barry Dixon. Passed away the 2nd of January. Um, donations for St Richard's Hospice. No funeral director details there. With thanks to all those who cared for him. Oliver Barton, known as Dick, passed away January the 3rd. Uh, donations to St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son detail as before. And Eileen Mary Allen passed away on January the 4th. Donations to Cancer Research, inquiries to AV Band 01905-947-272. Now, I think what is happening in the current situation is that uh, family members will make contact with people who they wish to attend services uh, and so if you aren't contacted, then I'm afraid that is it for the time being. These uh, funerals um, will have either taken place or are still to come. Um, 
But again, I think it really depends on you being contacted. So Peter Russell, um, Fernal Heath, uh, passed away on the 15th of December. Um, there will have been a funeral at the Vale Crematorium at Floodbury on the 13th of January. Donations to the Air Ambulance. Um, funeral care director is at Barnards Green, Malvern. 01684 574 733. <clears throat> Marie Celine, known as Jose Shears, passed away December 23rd. Funeral service will have taken place on the 14th of January. Um, <clears throat> donations for Dementia UK can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son details as before. Arthur Henry Cooper, retired GPO and was also quite prominent with the British Legion. He passed away on December the 23rd. Um, funeral will have taken place on Friday the 15th. Donations for the Plains Royal British Legion can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. And I've given you those details. What's the them for Peggy Isabel Prue. Passed away on December the 29th. Her funeral service will be on January the 18th by invitation. Donations to breast cancer support or the Royal British Legion uh, can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Phyllis Richards passed away on January the 1st, formerly of Northingtown Farm at Holt Heath. Um, funeral will be on the 21st of January at Clifton. Direct um, inquiries to AV band details as before. Barbara Phillips, previously Smith, passed away on the 3rd of January. Funeral service will be on the 20th of January with COVID restrictions, restrictions applying. Donations to the uh, ambulance and inquiries can be made to Bedwardine Funeral Services, details as before. And finally, Frank Grave passed away on Boxing Day. Uh, funeral service on the 21st of January, family only, followed by burial in Solwarp Churchyard. No funeral director details there. Our thoughts and prayers are with all of those who have recently lost loved ones. Mm -hmm. 